Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hello, and welcome back to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. I am the pastor here in Salmon Arm. My name is David Bickford. Today, I have something new, and it is Mitchell Mondays. This is going to be a collection of sermons from our founding pastor, the late Wayman Mitchell, and our current head pastor, his son, Greg Mitchell, based out of Prescott, Arizona. These are powerful messages from our fellowship leaders, and I hope that these messages add to your week. God bless. Legal problems, uh, and uh, he was able to shape these men into a powerful force for God. It's a very exciting story to read. Uh, many of them are listed as mighty men, outstanding uh, feats of victory. And the reason that he was able to do this was he had a heart of a shepherd. He had a heart of a shepherd, and he is known as the shepherd of Israel. And he was able to challenge those men that they could become greater than themselves. Now, in the text we're going to read, I'm going to read a few verses out of Luke 22, and then I'm going to skip quickly over to John uh, 21 and read three verses out of there. There is a story of a man named Peter, and this is a very, very instructive story. It's a man who is a failure. He fails terribly. And as he fails terribly, we're going to read of the restoration of that man and get tremendous insight in some spiritual dynamics uh, that are a great encouragement to all of us uh, to help us to be able to salvage people, because that's really what church is all about. Can you say amen? Uh, this, uh, this is not a place where people are on display. Uh, this place is a hospital emergency room, a spiritual Hospital emergency room. This is about in Fender Shop. Holy Spirit dragging wrecks off of the highway of life in. And this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ promises to do. And we're going to have a, a character study this morning on salvaging people. Because really, uh, the issue in life is not what happens in life. It's how you process life. You've heard me say that many, many times. And it's uh, how... You handle the failures that are in your life. There isn't anybody in this building that from some point or another you will have a failure in your life. But it's how you handle that and how you uh, uh, begin to approach that and how you as a person whom God has restored, how you handle people so that they can be restored. Luke 22, verse 31, famous story of Peter. Uh, uh, You'll immediately identify this story. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when uh, you are converted or when you have returned to me, 
Strengthen your brethren. Those words are key to understanding the text that we're going to have. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times, deny three times that you know me. You know the story. He does deny the Lord. But over in John chapter 21, we find a sequel to this. It's going to be greatly encouragement. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where You do not wish. Salvaging people is what we want to consider for a few minutes from this passage of Scripture. And I want to focus with you, first of all, on the danger of overconfidence. It's a very common problem, especially as Christianity becomes kind of familiar to people as they've lived for God for a little while. and They've seen God work. They've seen prayer answered. And you're not very careful you can become prideful because you have a knowledge of God and you have a, a relationship with God. You can become harsh. You can become legalistic for other people. And uh, possibly sometimes this is because it's a, con- a consequence of privilege. Peter, James, and John, as you remember, they had the, uh, the, they had the inside track. Several things that Jesus did where he took only Peter, James, and John with him. And uh, we'd have to speculate. It's quite possible that, uh, uh, that, uh, that this had produced uh, uh, some pride uh, in Peter because uh, uh, they're insiders. And they have to understand that Satan will exploit every single dimension of life that he can. In the book of uh, Proverbs, chapter 16, and verse 18, says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit uh, before uh, a fall. Now, here in this text, something is very, very clear, and that is this overconfidence that Peter had. Jesus has been saying to them they're moving towards uh, a, uh, a time when he's going to be taken, he's going to be killed, and, uh, and they don't fully grasp all this is all about, but but uh, uh, Peter in the text says, uh, I'm, "I'm never going to deny you, Lord. I don't care if everybody denies you. I'll be the last man standing, uh, and I, I want you to know that I'm never going to. I'll go to prison. I'll go to death with you. And before 24 hours has passed, uh, Peter in the in the in the crush and the, and the oppressive event has denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times, uh, and." Uh, uh, the, the scripture speaks uh, uh, very clearly and brings this out. Luke 22, verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you 
both to prison and to death. Now, this is spiritual pride. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, the Bible admonishes us and says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has taken you, but except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So here we have this scenario. Now, this is set in the context of the disciple. They've been having an argument on the way. They've been, uh, they've been arguing with one another. Who's going to be the greatest? One said, I'm going to have a greater ministry than the whole bunch. And so this is quite common. Uh, in Mark 9, 33 and 34, we bring this out. Said that, then he came to Capernaum, and, and when he was in the house, he asked him, what was it that you uh, disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And undoubtedly, Peter had entered that arena uh, because uh, he's one of them. And so they're comparing themselves among themselves, uh, which the Bible says is not wise. This is a common problem, is overconfidence or pride. The Bible tells us about a Pharisee and a publican who go in to pray. And uh, the publican is uh, not even uh, not even uh, considered to be worth uh, any kind of uh, spiritual uh, weight at all but the uh, the pharisee these are people who prided themselves on their spirituality and as he's there he's praying and as he's praying he said lord i thank you that i'm not like other men i fast twice in the week I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm not like this man over here. And Jesus makes an interesting comment. He says the Pharisee prayed with himself. And that is real insight because God wasn't hearing his prayer. And Jesus says this man went down receiving nothing from God. And the publican, meanwhile, no... uh, feeling of entitlement at all, won't even lift his eyes up to God, beats on his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went down righteous, justified with God, but the Pharisee went up receiving nothing. And so here we have this business of overconfidence. The mistake that we make in life is that with our own ability, we can do a work for God. This happens, it's quite common, a little bit of experience, a little bit of success. Uh, we uh, uh, witness, and uh, if we're not very careful, we get, begin to think that uh, with some slick story that we're going to tell, uh, some uh, argument that we're going to give, we're going we're to convince people that they're lost. Uh, uh, young men preach in the, uh, uh, in the 180, and they've got some smooth story that they've got that they think absolutely going to grab everybody's attention. And if you're not very careful, you begin to feel that uh, your slick maneuvering, your uh, good uh, business of speaking and ingenious illustrations is going to win the day. But unless God builds a house, uh, they labor in vain that build it. Can you say amen? Overconfidence is a common problem. We have in the story in the Bible of a man named Ahimaaz. He's in the, uh, the battle where Absalom had rebelled. And uh, Absalom was defeated. And uh, they needed to carry uh, news to David how the battle went. 
and uh, they have a delegated man to do it. But Himaz uh, wanted to be the one that brought the news, and he takes off and outruns uh, the man that's delegated. Uh, but alas, when he comes to David, uh, he doesn't have the message that David's looking for. And when David asks him a question, he doesn't have the answer. And he says, stand aside. And his pride caused him to move in his own strength and his own wisdom. And rather than win the day, he's embarrassed because overconfidence in the Christian life is very, very dangerous. And we see Peter, a terrible failure. So let's think for a moment about the power of grace as we read this, these two texts together uh, are so notable. And uh, there's a notable truth here, and that is that the devil will beat you to death over your sin and your failure. Can you say amen? He'll never acknowledge any of your forgiveness. He'll never uh, acknowledge any of, of your uh, 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 repenting and getting right with God. But he will beat you to death uh, with your sin and with your failure. Here's Peter. This is a horrible failure. Peter's a human being, and uh, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. You can be sure that he is present uh, in every circumstance of life, uh, and though he does not exercise his option at the moment, he'll simply put it on a shelf for a strategic moment and wait because he is the accuser of the brethren, and he takes good note of every single failure of life. In the book of James, chapter 1, says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. <clears throat> Let no one say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. <clears throat> Excuse me. For God cannot be tempted uh, uh, by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So here we have this business of life. All of us live in an arena where we are constantly seeing human flaw. Human frailty, we have to deal with this within our own heart, within our own family, within our own associates. And uh, you've probably heard me, uh, I often am ministering to uh, pastors and uh, in some kind of sessions. Uh, and I constantly am using the phrase uh, that you can either, in a handling problem, be a butcher or a surgeon. Both of them cut meat. One leaves a living a human being. The other has a display case. <laughs> I tell them that because in dealing with human frailties and human personality, uh, uh, it, is, uh, it, it is vastly different on how you approach and how you come out. Uh, and we're going to see this in the text before us. Uh, and you need to understand as a, uh, as a believer, not everyone who fails has to die. Mark that down somewhere. I'm constantly astonished at my son, Greg. He is, uh, he is God's grace to him in his life. And he's able to deal with the problem and not wind up with a corpse. I mean, it's, it's marvelous. I'm, I see a lot of things that you folk don't see. But I marvel at this boy as uh, God has given him. He's able to deal with the problem and the person's alive when he gets through with it. That's, that is indeed a skill 
and a glorious grace of God. And here we have a glorious dimension because it's grace. This is a profound illustration that we have. Here's a man that's failed. You, we read his words. I don't care if they all, I'll go to death, I'll go to prison. Less than 24 hours later, a little girl said, hey, you're a gal. No, no, not me. And, and so they keep accusing him. And he finally curses, you know. And that shows that he's not a believer of Jesus when he curses. Uh, and uh, at least that's my opinion. So, <clears throat> And so here he is. He fails miserably. But it's interesting that the messenger <coughs> says to the disciples, uh, uh, you go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm going to meet them where I told you at Galilee, Mark 16 and verse 7. Now, there's deep insight here because it's very important that you understand that in the Scripture. You go tell the disciples uh, and Peter because the dynamics that are involved Peter would have felt it's all over. He would have felt, here he has, he's had this opportunity to bear testimony. He's bragged that he's got the stuff. And here he miserably fails. And as he's going out, he glances at at the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus looks at him. And Peter sees uh, uh, that here is the one that he told. Everybody can depart. They'll all die. I'll not die. And he, he feels it's all over. But it's very interesting in the grace of God that those, the, those words are written, You go tell my disciples and Peter, Mark 16 and verse 7, because he would have felt that there's no hope. He's over the edge. It's, uh, it's too late for me. But as we look at this text for a moment, Jesus draws out from Peter, a realization of his love for him, Peter's love for Jesus. He spotlights it. Here they are now. They're on the shore of Galilee. They've been fishing. Jesus comes and uh, uh, and he says, uh, come and, and dine. Uh, there's bread and fish on the fire. Peter jumps into the into the sea first and, and, and gets there first. <clears throat> and so Jesus now is going to restore a precious soul. How do you restore a precious soul? They're there. They're gathered. The 11 disciples are there. Tim and, and, and uh, Peter. And they're there. Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and says to, says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Now think about that for a moment. I don't know how many of you have ever been around anybody or you've had anybody fail you or anybody that uh, you've had to deal with. In the restoration and and think of the dynamics there now. <clears throat> so you got them face to face. Now, uh, why did you do that? Uh, well, you know, it's, 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 you knew that you told me that you were going to die for me and you'd even go to the prayer. So what happened? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. You know how miserable failure you are. You know, you know what everybody is thinking about that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know all the dynamics? Or let's line up. Let's have a belt line. You know, let's line up and everybody take their belt out and beat them as they go by. You know. Or let's, let's uh, 
let's uh, stand them up and say, uh, uh, let's say 400 times, uh, I'm sorry that I denied you. I'm sorry that I denied you. I'm sorry. Are you still with me? So how does he deal with this now? Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, uh, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. He's, he's, he's agitated now, but catch the dynamics of this now rather than spotlighting his failure. Peter knows his failure. All the disciples know his failure. The Lord Jesus knows his failure. But rather than focus on that, he wants to draw out from Peter uh, his love for him. Uh, and as he does that, uh, love is able to conquer failure. Now think about this for a moment as we move through this uh, and uh, look at the text uh, and look at the Bible itself. Moses is the one who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses is the one who uh, points out his rod uh, the river turns red, frogs are everywhere, lice. Uh, uh, finally, the uh, angel kills all the firstborn of, of Egypt, uh, stretches out his rod. Uh, they cross over the Red Sea. Pharaoh, his armies follow after. The, the, the sea swallows them up. Now, here's Moses, and Moses wants now a revelation of God. And he says to the Lord, Lord, uh, I, want you to, I want you to show me your glory. He, I, I want to see, I want to get a little insight. Listen to Exodus 34, verse 6, and what does God say? And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth. Now Moses has just seen God pour judgment upon Egypt. He's just seen him in his wrath, uh, judge that, uh, and now he's uh, wanting some insight. Uh, and as he gets this, the Lord speaks to him and says, uh, yes, I do judge sin. Yes, I am able. I have power. Yes. Uh, but what I want you to see about me, Moses, uh, is uh, I'm merciful and gracious. I'm long-suffering and abounding in goodness uh, and in truth. Or in other words, uh, I want you to see a revelation of my grace. This is what was at work uh, by the Sea of Galilee uh, in these three drawing out. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three times. How many times did he ask him, do you love me? Three times. Uh, and when it's finished, uh, then he says to him, uh, I called you to be a shepherd uh, to the people of God, and I want you to do that. Uh, and he restores him. Uh, and Paul at uh, one time in extreme difficulties, Second Corinthians 12, verse 9. My grace uh, is all you need. My power works best uh, in weakness. So what we have here this morning is grace triumphing over human weakness. We have grace triumphing over human failure. It does not mean there's not a price to pay for sin, consequences in the failures of life. We're not ignoring any of that. We're talking about salvaging people. Can you say amen? See, what God's about is salvaging people. And what a church ought to be is salvaging people. This does not mean that you do not have to judge sin. 
doesn't mean that you don't have to uh, deal with people and some of their nasty personalities, uh, but it means uh, that God triumphs over human failure to accomplish a purpose uh, that is greater than the immediate. Listen to this revelation in John chapter 1, verse 14 and 16 and 17. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, and of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One of the most enduring hymns ever written is a hymn that we sing quite frequently, Amazing Grace. It was written by John Newton. John Newton is a very interesting study. He, at one time in his life, according to his own confession, he said, I went to Africa to sin to my heart's content. He became a slave trader. He began to transport people into the new world to sell them into slavery. He took advantage of the women slaves that he has as they were transporting them. He's a, uh, he was a twisted man. He at one time became a slave to an African queen. And uh, uh, his story is one of the twistings uh, of, of human personality, the wickedness uh, that human personality can be. But one time in a storm, uh, when he felt he was going to die, He opened his heart to God, prayed, and God gave him a glorious transformation. And he wrote a a song called Amazing Grace. I want to take time to read you the verses of that song. We don't sing this much anymore. We sing the, you know, (laughs) we get all the, but this one has profound meaning. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I've already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, those words were penned by a man who knew grace not just as a doctrine, but he knew the failure. He knew the pain and the bondages of sin, and having been delivered out of that He put to music uh, the beautiful stanzas of that uh, song uh, that is one of the most enduring and popular hymns uh, that were ever written because it came out of a heart uh, that was changed uh, by grace. So we're talking about salvaging people this morning, so I want to talk to you about the key to effectiveness. When we read that text back in Luke 22... Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to have you, to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith does not fail. Now, there's a two-edged sword that comes with that. One of these is Peter's faith. 
But then he goes on to say, when you are converted, you strengthen your brethren. And so the other edge of that is don't lose faith or have faith in people. So let's think about that for a moment, because we must not lose our faith in God's ability to redeem people. Here's a failure. His name is Peter. He's properly restored to effectiveness, and we must never lose faith and hope that God can restore a human being. There are three eternal verities spoken of in the Bible, faith, hope, and love. And the Bible says these three things are eternal, gifts of healing, gifts of knowledge, spiritual graces. These are, these are all wonderful. They all function. But these three things are eternal. They don't pass uh, in the process of time. These are eternal verities. Uh, and one of these uh, is faith. Uh, another is hope. Uh, and another is love. And all of these working together uh, works a powerful dimension in the restoring of people uh, And what we have here is a shepherd's heart. Look at Peter for a moment. Three times feed my sheep. One time feed my lambs. Now, look at this for a moment. Now, Peter can deal with others out of a converted heart. Or in other words, out of his own experiences now, he's experienced the grace of God He's, uh, he's looked failure full in the face and brought to realization of his own weaknesses, his own ability to sin, his own ability to fail God, and being restored out of that now, he can begin to deal with others. And the Scripture says, out of his own experience, he is able to help and strengthen his brethren. You must this morning, as you're sitting here, believe that God can restore or God can save imperfect people. Two-edged sword. One, Peter, don't lose your faith in me, but don't lose your faith that God can restore people because that's the other end of it. When you're finished, when you're converted, then you strengthen your brethren. It's this man, as I conclude, who stands on the day of Pentecost Isn't it interesting? It's Peter who stands. This is the man. This is the man uh, who failed. This is the man who has the reputation. The only one of the 11 that that has this, uh, this, this horrible failure. He's the only one that stands. And out of a genuine love for people and concern for them, he preaches and 3,000 people uh, step forward and acknowledge uh, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A short time later, the scripture records that 5,000 more respond. Or in other words, what I'm saying is his effectiveness is out of a restored heart. And James 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is what touches the deepest need in a human heart is someone who can understand, someone who can have faith in what God can do for a human being. Listen to Psalms 42, 7 and 8. Deep calls unto deep, 
at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to God, the God of my uh, of my a prayer to the God of my life, ringing in my ears. I probably there's not a, a day or a week goes by that I don't hear the words of a man that called me on the phone, a man who's left his ministry, left his calling, left his uh, place with God. And in the anguish of his soul, Pastor, I just want to do something for God. What anguish? Who knows the depths of despair? Who knows the pain of a human personality uh, that has that longing, having left the thing that God has given to them uh, and now in deep remorse, uh, wanting it back. Here's the fulfillment. Let's look at Peter for a moment of Matthew 16. Matthew 16, at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus comes to Peter, asks, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he makes a statement uh, that, you're Peter, you're a little rock, but he says that you are going to become a rock. Now, that's not as the Catholic Church says, I'm going to build a church on that. But it's what Jesus Christ was able to accomplish in him, and he's able to accomplish upon that when he said, you are a rock. He said to him, this is your destiny. This is a man that God was able to salvage through his grace uh, and through his love. The Bible says where sin abounds, uh, grace also does much more abound. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice uh, in hope uh, of the glory of uh, of God. There's a quote that I want to conclude with you. This is a man, and this man's name is Thomas Chalmers. He's a preacher in England. Listen to this quote. I cannot but record, he says, the effect of an actual, though undesigned, experiment which I prosecuted for upwards of 12 years among you. For the first eight years of that time, I could expatiate only on the meanness of dishonesty on the villainy of falsehood, on the despicable arts of calumny, in a word, upon all those deformities of character which awaken the natural indignation of the human heart against the pests and disturbers of human society. But the interesting fact is that during the whole of that period, I never once heard of any reformation being wrought amongst my people. All the vehemence with which I urged the virtues and the proprieties of social life had not the weight of a feather on the moral habits of my parishioners. It was not until the free offer of forgiveness through the blood of Christ was urged upon the acceptance of my hearers that I ever heard of any of those subordinate reformations which I made the ultimate object of my earlier ministrations. Now, what a tremendous testimony and statement, eh? because this bears testimony to our text that we have. Here's a man. This man is not much different than you and I. His name is Peter. 
filled with self-confidence, confident that he could outperform, he could outlast, he could outserve all others, not aware of his own weakness, not aware of his own heart, miserably fails, and having no entitlement to anything from God, worst sin he could ever do publicly in this last hour of Jesus' trial, denies him. But there, in the process of time, the Lord Jesus Christ meets him on the shore of Galilee. And in a simple exhibition of tenderness and love, wanting to draw out of him something that really was there, which could overcome his frailty, overcome his weakness, overcome his failure, and bring forgiveness to him, says to him, Peter, do you love me? Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing. Join the conversation and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.